0: About the great commission, I want to talk about winning souls and winning the lost. And I want to talk about going into the nations and doing what Jesus said and touching the farthest reached people that haven't heard the name of Jesus. And I want to talk about touching the people in our community and reaching people, reaching the lost, and bringing people hope and doing what it is that we do. But I'm not really going to talk about that today because uh, <laughs> I want our hearts to fall in love with that. I want that to be 2023's focus. And so I got to talk about our hearts. But I'm not going to just, I'm not going to talk about our hearts. Because, you know, (laughs) Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, right? And he didn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. He says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So today I'm talking about your treasure. (laughs) <laughs> so hide your wallets <laughs> Hide your purses The preacher's gonna talk about money I actually love talking about money The church has gotten uh, Church has been weird about money A lot of different ways God was telling God was showing me this You guys know the story of the prodigal son Right? The younger son asks for all the money for That's his inheritance And he goes and spends it on himself The older son stays home But he's mad when the son comes back and gets, you know, rewarded And it's like the church typically falls into one of those two camps, right? So the younger son mentality would be something like the prosperity gospel Like God give me meat for me so I can spend it on me God bless me, bless me, bless me So I can buy that car and buy that house and do do the things that I want to do, right? The older son this is kind of the other camp of, the, of, the, of money. It's like, I would call it the false humility sort of camp. Like, oh, I don't need nothing. I don't need anything. I don't think or talk about money. We don't do that. But then when you see somebody else getting blessed, it's kind of like, Lord, when is my turn? You know? And the secret lies, I want to take us out of both of those camps and raise us to what the Father said. Because the Father said this, son, don't you know that everything I have is yours? Yeah. So he tried to take the sons from a servant, slave sort of mentality and brought them into sonship mentality, which is an ownership mentality, which is to say, everything I have is God's. And so since I have everything that God has access to, what am I going to do with it? If I own it, see, like if you're an employee, you kind of don't really care. You come in, if you, this or that or whatever. But if you own a place, it's like you care about everything. I found that I'm. I've. I've, I've been an employee. And I've been an owner, and I found a, I. I tend to draw towards laziness as an employee, and as an owner, I can't. I can't sit down. I can't stop working because it's like this is mine. I'm taking care of it. So God's calling us to an ownership mentality, <clears throat> and so I want to talk to you today in Luke 16, Luke chapter 16. Uh, the parable of the prodigal son was the the last thing of Luke 15. So we're so Jesus. Told it like that in that order for a reason. And just so you know, this message, I'm going to bring you into the, one of the most obscure and odd parables stories in the whole Bible. I've I've been in the church my whole life. I've never once heard anyone preach on this parable. I talk to people who know their Bible, and I mention this parable, and they're kind of like, "Wait, where is that? Which one is that?" It's it's very obscure and weird. You'll you'll probably see why why no one really preaches on it. But I like tackling those things, so let's do it. So Luke chapter 16, this is in the NIV. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called to each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, take your bill and make it 800. So the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. That's the end of the parable right there. So the master commended the dishonest manager for because he had acted shrewdly. And then Jesus goes on to expound. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light you have any more of that verse? If not, I'm going to go ahead and pull it up here. There you go. So I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into their eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So I don't know, if you're anything like me, like the first time I read that, I was kind of like, oh, I know what's going to happen here. It's called the parable of the unjust steward. <laughs> it's like he starts being all shady and shifty. It's like this guy's in for trouble. He's going to get tossed out into the street or thrown into a lake of fire. It's something bad's happening to him, right? And, uh, and just in classic God fashion, right when you least expect it, he completely surprises you and says, he was commended. He commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly so I want to break this parable down and sort of try to pull piece by piece what can, what we can learn from it. If we take it one by one, maybe we can paint a picture of what the heck is going on here. So, who's the master in like the parable? Who would you say that is? Is it God. We got one person got it right, so we can only go up from there. Well, I guess not. So the master's Probably God, right? And then who would the steward be? Us. Right, us, right? I mean, the steward is the main character, someone to learn from here. So we're going to place ourselves in the role of steward. The job is managing God's wealth, right? Because what is God's wealth? So, money. What is money in the parable? Money represents money today, right? Because in verse 11, he says, So if you have not been trustworthy handling worldly wealth, So we're actually talking about money. We're talking about worldly wealth. And the job is ending. So that's interesting. Because it's like, okay, if our job is managing worldly money, why is that job coming to an end? Well, in the parable, it was because he was doing a bad job. He was wasting the master's possessions, right? Okay, so that's the bad job. What's a good job? A good job, according to this, is to be shrewd. So, in the amount of time left between when you are when you find out your assignment is coming to an end and when you, uh, assumably, the assignment is coming to an end, uh, whatever that means, to act very shrewdly and aggressively to win friends for yourselves that will accept you later. Okay, well, so what's later? The houses, right? Like, that... I know what I'll do, he said, that they'll accept me into their houses. Well, the houses, what did Jesus say? He said, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, talking about the wealth, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So that has to be heaven, right? So could we, I, I, so piecing it together, what, what could this mean? And and then we have to answer the question, who who are the friends? Because it's like, okay, so something, to me it says something like this. Uh, Your job is to manage God's money well, and that job is temporary, and it will come to an end. So in your time of managing God's money, you better shrewdly and aggressively use it to win these friends who will welcome you into heaven. Wouldn't you agree? kind of what we sort of deducted, right? So who the heck are these friends? See, I can see why no one preaches on this. <laughs> Have you guys seen the movie Schindler's List? Yes. It came out a while ago, so I'm, I don't feel like I'm going to spoil anything for you. spoil <laughs> So, in Schindler's List, it's based on a true story. Oscar Schindler was a... Was a um, a man in Germany, he was a German Nazi, member of the Nazi party during the Holocaust. And as these Jews were starting to be more and more pressurized, put into uh, the ghettos, and cut off from monetary policy in Germany, he started utilizing that opportunity to use them as labor for his own uh, manufacturing plant, which he, which he gained contracts with the, with the uh, German army through. So he, he took the opportunity and he made a lot of money. He uh, basically didn't have to pay them anything, but he paid them in, in basic goods and necessities because they were cut off from the commerce anyway. And over the course of the movie, you start to see like, increased and increased pressure on the Jews. They get put into concentration camp he still manages to make deals with generals our, of the army to bring them back into the into the um, factory to continue production, and he makes more money than you'll ever know what to do with. And then it's kind of coming to a to an end, right? Because they're about to get sent off to Auschwitz, and he's recognizing, like, he over the course of the time, you know, he he gain relationships with these people, he knows that they're people. He knows that he doesn't totally buy the, the the Holocaust or I mean the the German story, and he's he's increasingly under pressure, and he finally says, "Listen, what we'll, we'll do," and this is what he comes up with. He comes up with a plan. He he starts making a list. It's called Schindler's List. Oscar Schindler's List, and it's and it's get that guy with his family, three kids, write it down, and his accountant is furiously writing down all the people that he's going to purchase because he's going to buy them from the Germans and take them <laughs> take them to his own factory that's just a complete shell factory. it's not real. Um, it's not going to even do any production. So his heart was like changed by this point right? And he writes like hundreds of people put people's names down and um, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he makes it makes the transaction he saves them everyone else goes to Auschwitz. He goes and takes about 400 or so people to um, this factory and never really produces anything and the war ends. And so now he's on the other side where they're, hunt- they're t- chasing down Nazis and, and actually hanging them and, and, and um, the Jews are all free. And uh, so he's going to leave in the middle of the night, and he comes out, and all the Jews that he saved are there, and they're all applauding him, standing and applauding him. And there's this powerful scene where he's like, <sighs> his, his first gut reaction is, um, I could have done more. Like, I could have won more. He says, this car, I didn't need this car. That was 10 Jews. He took off his Nazi pin, which is obviously worthless now. Two Jews. He would have given me at least one Jew. He so, said, no, man, no, you did great, you know. It's a powerful story. <clears throat> How many of you guys have heard of, um, well, let me just summarize it. So, so he leveraged his wealth and won a lot of friends, right? How many of you guys have heard of uh, Daniel Kalenda? Any hands? Few hands. How about Reinhard Bonnke? Probably the same hands. Maybe a few more. Yeah. Daniel Kalenda and Reinhard, bon- Reinhard Bonnke has passed away. He started a ministry in Africa, and Daniel Kalenda uh, was his kind of protege, and he's still doing it. And I, I would, I would venture a guess. I had, there's not really a good way to research this, but I would, if I had to, if I had to guess, I would say. Between the two of them, they have won more people, human beings, to Christ than anyone ever in the history of the world. They've, um, between their ministry, they've kept a tally, and it's been, they're up to 84 million people, mostly in Africa. They're just just massive over there. If you'll Google them, you'll see uh, a little tiny white guy on a little tiny stage and seas of Africans, just seas and seas of people. 3 million, 4 million, 5 million people at one event. It's like we think stadiums are big. It's like stadiums are like 100,000 people, right? Like the biggest stadium. Like this is a real big event, okay? And they just they just win massive and they don't just count a hand raise, right? It's like if someone wants to give their life to Christ, they are connected to a local body and actually disciple. So these are like legit numbers here. So one more question. How, how many of you have heard of Jonathan Livingston. A few hands. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> it's a, you're, you're not graded on this stuff. So, <laughs> good thing. So, Jonathan Livingston, he was a missionary to Africa. And he's, he actually became quite famous. And he, he's even in your, your secular historical books, and they call him an explorer. He wasn't an explorer, he was a missionary. He went to win souls to Jesus. And, uh, he went at a time when you would say goodbye to your family and you would plan on not seeing them again. Daniel Kalenda, I got to go to a um, a breakfast, a prayer breakfast with him. So your pastor, Pastor David, and myself got to go to um, meet Daniel Kalenda, right? So... I got to shake his hand. It a huge honor. It's like, wow, man, to be in the presence of like somebody that God has used at such a high level is unbelievable. And he was telling this story. He's telling these stories, uh, and I want to just share a couple of them with you. So, one was, you know, he had at one point he had seen um, a graveyard uh, at, at, in, in Africa, and he was asking them about what it, this is because it was very odd. Because on the tombstones it just said like. 24, 72, 12. And he's asking, and it was the missionary graveyard. So, this missionary graveyard was basically how many days did a missionary survive once they landed to to come and tell people about Jesus? Because this was the time back then, right? In the 1900s and early early 1900s, 1800s. So, that's the context of of David Livingston. I know I'm jumping back and forth. That's the context of David Livingston, who went as an explorer, and went and was a missionary. Now, imagine this. Daniel Kalenda and Reinhard Bonnke, with the, with the ministry of the level of, that, that has touched millions and millions, they go to a library. I don't know if it's in Livingston, Zambia, that city's named after David Livingston, or whether it was somewhere else, but they're in this library, and they have an unpublished copy of David Livingston's journal. And so you so they're in there reading this journal, and there's an entry in there from David Livingston that says this this trip was really hard. A lot of people got sick. Uh, we faced many challenges. Touched one person for Jesus and I'm not even sure if 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 that was a real one. And then he says this but there will come a day when every missionary that comes to Africa will win some for the Lord. And you gotta see this picture, right? Because here's Daniel Kalenda and Ryan Harbanki reading this. And Daniel Kalenda went on to explain, like, you know, when I get up onto that stage and grab that microphone, but I'm actually, like, the last link in a chain of, of about a thousand links that go back that if each, any of those little links break, the whole thing falls apart. And, and, and you can look at him and say, wow, because he's the face of this thing with millions of people, and he says himself, I gotta pinch myself, it doesn't seem real, and that's because he could have never done it on his own, but he's, but he's in a linkage all the way back, and it could just be included just his team alone, right? Like the logistics and everything that goes into raising this kind of event, all the way to the financiers and the donors, and all the way back to David Livingston, who missionaries, people who gave their lives, and left their lives on, on the line to, to set up and plow a field to get to, to, get to where we're at today. And he said when I get up there on that on that stage and grab that microphone, I feel the Spirit of the Lord say in me, Don't you dare falter now. <laughs> See, we're in a s we're in a particular season. We're in a particular time, and I'm gonna get more into that in depth. But it's really interesting. Markets are funny. You know, I don't know if any of you guys have done any like investing or stock trading or anything, but it's like things are valuable until they're not, right? And things are also like not valuable until they are. And there's sort of like, you don't get to go back. Like if I gave you the opportunity, for instance, to buy Tesla at a dollar, I mean, you maybe you don't know what the price of Tesla is, but you could bet a dollar is probably a pretty good deal. So, if I gave you the chance to go back and do that, like how much Tesla would you buy? You know, would you buy like, 10 shares, 1,000 shares? Would you empty out your savings account? Well, okay, but but then what? Like, wouldn't you start to like think, like, wait a minute, maybe I can make a call, maybe I can borrow some money, because I know it's going to 300 or 1,000 or whatever. I know that it's gonna be a massive wealth increase. W- w- what should I, what would I do? You'd start getting creative, right? Maybe you'd even start getting shrewd. Maybe you'd start getting aggressive. You start leveraging things, but you got to survive until the end, so you can't just like put all your money. So suddenly you start to think, right? But here's the thing. Once Tesla goes to 300 you never get to go back. You don't get to go back and buy it at $1, right? right? So it's over at that time. So what am I talking about? I'm talking... Are you guys following? Yeah, sure. Maybe I need to kind of... <laughs> Yeah, so it's like we have an opportunity in this season to leverage our wealth in such a way that wins the loss, that does what Oscar Schindler did only at a higher level because these are people's souls we're talking about, and we're talking about pulling them from the grips of hell and bringing them into heaven. And we have the opportunity as owners, right, As, as sons of God who who own the property to be able to leverage by faith our own resources in order to win those friends. Suddenly it's like not about, you know, give a thousand dollars and God bless you. Like, do you see how much higher level this is? It's like so much better. So our church, I wanna talk about Pakistan real quick. Our church did something pretty similar. We invested uh, with Pakistan. And a lot of you guys know about it. I'm just pulling up some stats. Through a a wild uh, connection between Pastor David and um, uh, Daniel Saleem, who is our connection in Pakistan, it grew, uh, a friendship grew, and then a mentorship relationship grew, and then eventually we tested with some finances. We started by sowing $500 into him and his ministry, and what he was gonna do was raise a little, um, small uh, uh, crusade, like a crusade in Pakistan. From $500, 400 people showed up, and 300 people gave their lives to Jesus. That was the start. So then we obviously saw, like a shrewd businessman, if you invest a dollar and get three hundred back, you're gonna go, oh, all right, this is this, some God is doing something here. Let's let's watch and pay attention. So by the Spirit, we continued listening, we continued the relationship. The next thing was fifteen thousand dollars. We partnered with two other churches. We sold fifteen thousand dollars to a to a larger um, crusade. Two thousand people showed up, and almost a thousand people gave their life to Jesus. From there, we decided to, um, these people, we, we're not about just, like, winning someone and then that's it, right? Like, you, you, Jesus, the, the Great Commission is to make disciples. Yeah. So we there needs to be follow-up. There needs to be teaching. There needs to be, like, coming alongside people and going all the way to getting them to look like Jesus. It doesn't happen overnight. So we sewed $6,000 for a missionary to live there for six months. And he discipled those first 300 and the 950 from the second one. And it multiplied, because of course these people are like sharing with their friends, (laughs) to be 2,700 people from 27 villages. Then finally, this last time, which is the one where actually Pastor David and Jerry went, and we saw pictures from, we as a church, by the way, we didn't raise a special offering for this. We weren't like, "Hey, this is what we're doing in Pakistan. Here's your chance to give." It's like, no, you already had to either be giving or be privy to what's going on. And we, as a church, had about fifty to sixty thousand dollars in the bank. This thing was going to cost four. Uh, actually, it was going to cost sixty thousand dollars. So I'll never forget. We went on my boat and. Um, the elders and the, and the leadership of the church to discuss it and talk about what, what are we going to do this? Like <laughs> It's a lot of money. We like to operate with about that much money in the bank because sometimes giving's up, sometimes giving's down, and uh, you never know what's going to happen, but that's just kind of the safety net, right? Well, every one of us, yes, yes, yes. We knew the spirit was on it. We, we wanted to do it. We sold forty thousand dollars, and and thirty third company who we partner with sold twenty thousand dollars. Twenty two thousand people came to that event, and just under ten thousand people are going to be in heaven because we (laughs) did. Like ten thousand, and guys, this is in Pakistan. This isn't in like Canada. This is in Pakistan. Like, missionary books say Pakistan's hard. That's hard. Like, this is a place where, uh, if you are caught converting a Muslim, you can be punished by debt. 10,000 people because Jesus, Jesus was in it, and because we were ready when the time came. We were ready when Tesla was a dollar, and we leveraged, and we got aggressive. Guess what? It was like, within the month, after we had given that, we were, we were like up to like, what, $50,000, something like that, in the account. We're like, where did this come from? I mean, it was like check here, check there, random give, gifts, just back up like it was nothing, like it literally didn't even touch us. But think about it from God's perspective, right? Why does he say, to whom has, more will be given, and to who doesn't have, even what they have will be taken away. Or if you're honest with what you have, you'll be given more. That's the principles of the kingdom. We are so backwards as people to think that it's not like that. As an investor, if someone is doing—I'm speaking for God from God's perspective—if if someone is doing well according to God with their money, why wouldn't He want to give them more? It's a no-brainer. So, as an owner, when you start having an ownership mentality, you start saying, "Oh," and remember, why does He say it? Don't worry about the don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. I'll take care of that but you be an owner in the kingdom and start doing ownership things as if you're the older son who, where he says, didn't you know you own everything, right? So that ownership mentality is what we need to adopt as a church and in our money. Another story with that Pakistan. There was one guy from our church. Some of you will know this story. He... Uh, he knew about what we were doing in Pakistan. God put it on his heart to sell his car. <laughs> so, I mean, he's like a young guy with, with a family. And he's like, well, I work from home. My wife stays at home with the kids. We don't need two cars. Let's sell the car, and we'll give it. So he <laughs> sold his car, and it wasn't like a cheap car. It was like a car. And he sold it, and, and, he, and he put... Um, of that money, he put a, um, a certain amount of money into Pakistan. Him alone, okay? There was, If you knew, if I had time to go into it, the miracles of how it happened. But that gift alone, because he felt the spirit, he heard God and he answered and was obedient to the call. He sold his car, got aggressive, leveraged hard for Tesla at a dollar. <laughs> I'm trying to drive that into you. And what, and his alone enabled, uh, I think it was 50 more buses, 50 more buses to be able to go and bring people in from the villages because that's, that's what the cost was. 50 buses. 4,000 people on the buses. According to the math, 1,791 souls. <laughs> like, who wouldn't do that? Like, Oscar Schindler! <laughs> like, this car! I didn't this car, man. Like, there, Like, this is what I'm saying about markets. Like, there's going to be a market shift when you go to heaven, right? The difference between an owner and a steward is that an owner gets to do whatever they want, a steward gets to do whatever they want, but the steward has to give an account for what they did. And there's going to be a market shift when you go to heaven and find out what was actually valuable and what was not valuable. Yeah. And suddenly it's going to be like, Grows in your eyes like a car. There were people, yeah. and so now he has one car. <laughs> but he, but he, but he made friends. <laughs> he made some serious friends that will welcome him into eternal dwelling. So it's like, do you believe it? Like, do we believe this story? Because it's gonna—you can't go after this story if you don't have this sonship mentality. That's why. That's why I started with that. You can't go after this like it's uh, in, in, your, in your flesh and in the works, in works. You have to do this by the Spirit. He didn't just say, all right, I'm going to sell everything again. He said, "He said I feel like God is telling me to sell this car and I'm going to do it. Yeah. So it's always through communication relationship with Jesus, right? Sometimes he's going to call you to do something and you're going to see a major impact. Sometimes he's going to call you to do something and you're not going to see, you know, anything. I got a little bit of time, so I'm gonna finish the story I wanted to say. So he sold the car, he gave a a chunk to um, Pakistan and had that result. The larger portion, like, is is split up in like, I think like a third and two-thirds, or like a a fourth and three-fourths. So like three-quarters of of the thing was actually, he's like, what am I supposed to do with this, Lord, because I know you told me to do this. So then God led him to one individual, at our church, who desperately needed a car. And he sewed a car to him. With the, with the lion's share of what he had sold. And this is, the, this is the way of the kingdom. I told him one time, I said, you know, Jesus one time, he was preaching, and, and there's crowds and crowds and crowds walking to him, right? And he's healing everybody and touching everybody, and we would think, great, do it 10 times more. Like, simple like human growth is like, go more. He says, guys, we're gonna cross the sea. And he gets into a boat, and he crosses the sea, and this is when the winds and the storms hit, the, the, boat, the boat stayed afloat, they made it to the other side of the sea, and you know what they found? One psychotic, demon-possessed person in the cave, Cutting himself. And Jesus, and this guy comes up, and he has an encounter with him, and Jesus casts all the devils out of him. He gets normal clothes on. He's fully within his right mind. And the whole town comes and says, ho, 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 because the demons went into the flock of pigs that went down. You guys know the story? And And they died in the water. So the town didn't like it because it disrupted things. Jesus left a crowd, right? And that's him leaving the 99th, the one, right? And he went and and talked to one guy. He spent his time, like his precious time. He was here for three years, three years of ministry. And he took, he took like a, a week and spent his time and went after one guy that everybody else said was worthless. So how does that relate to us? Like, you don't know what God's going to call you to give to. You know, I don't. I hesitate to get into the. I like the numbers. I like the numbers. I like being like, hey, that's a dollar sixty a person. <laughs> like I, I bought a six dollar coffee before. You know, it's $1.60 dollar sixty a person. I like that because that's how my mind works. But I hesitate to get too into the numbers because there's going to be times where God calls you to do something and you don't really understand why, but He wants to express His love to one person. And I say that because some of you in here are thinking, oh, that's great for you, all this money you want to give to different things, but I don't have enough money to eat, or I don't have enough money to pay the next bill, or you don't have my bills and you struggle. But it's like, I'm not going to give you the sympathy card. What I'm going to say is all the more true. Maybe you've, maybe you've, Uh, been managing your own money far too long and you need to start managing God's money rather than your own. Maybe you need to start adopting these principles and say, you know what? I'm sick and tired of me making all the decisions and not consulting you, God. Maybe you need to take your wallet or take your purse and put it on the altar. Not literally, but metaphorically, put it on the altar before God and give it to Him, right? And say, it's time to recognize that I'm a steward and not an owner. It's time to recognize that that I will give an account for this one day. Because if you do well with your money, God will give you more. But you got to know what the definition of doing well is. Now let's bring, bring the band back up. I'm getting close here. So the job is coming to an end. We don't have much time. Can you believe it, It's 2023. You guys know how fast it goes. I'm 35, I was just 28, like just 28. I was just 28, I'm 35 now, you know? And you guys all laugh going, I was just 35. <laughs> goes fast man it goes fast consider this your warning consider this the time where the master says your job is coming to an end give an account you're going to have to give an account you got this much time left I don't want to dig I don't want to do this I know what I'll do I'll be shrewd and aggressive for the kingdom of heaven in 2023, we're going to we're going to have opportunities to do greater things in the nations yeah. as real church and as a church globally. But there are big things and your pastor has the heart for heartbeat for the nations. We're not just in it just to have coffee and like enjoy each other though that's good. Like we're we're on mission. And we need to remember the season and times that we're in, right? Like, if you've never traveled, I would always recommend traveling to another country. It'll open your eyes dramatically. If all you ever do is live in America in 2022 or 2023, you're gonna kind of just think like an American. You're gonna think these things are normal. Everything about our culture is kind of normal. You're gonna read the Bible and sort of jar with how it fights against our culture. But you're not gonna like know the seasons and times. That's why I told that story of, of Daniel Kalenda all the way back to Jonathan Livingston. Because if he didn't have a recognition that Jonathan Livingston fought for his life and, and maybe won one person, that, then how, how how is he going to handle what's happening to him? He would have no context for it. And that's what leaders have done in the past when they've fallen. Because they've, started to, they've allowed pride to get in. They've allowed, it, like, wow, look at me, I'm special to get in. And, and God will just swap that down immediately. It's like anointing gone. So you have to know your time and your season. And for us, just I'm just going to give you a, a, a clear picture. We are very, very wealthy. Like even if you struggle making your bills, you're still more wealthy than just about anyone that's ever lived in the history of life on a, on a scale of what it is we have access to. And if you've ever bought a $5 coffee, then you're welcome. And it's like, I don't wanna get to the end of my life and see that wealth transfer, see that mind shift set and go, whoa, I was caught up in American culture and I I forgot. I didn't see, I didn't recognize. I mean, if I have the chance to buy Tesla at a dollar, I'm going aggressive, right? Why don't you guys stand with me? You guys can start. I don't know. I'm actually going to do a little bit of altar ministry. We don't, we're done, but I'm going to call up. If, if this message meant something to you, meaning if you feel the spirit of the Lord tugging on your heart and you feel like, in, even whether it's a small way or a large way, you need to make a change or you want to see a difference, I want you to come up to the altar and just spend some time with the Lord. It's not going to be not going to be long and not going to be extreme. But I want you to come up and just do business with God. Come on up. I know there's, I know there's more people. And just for those that are leery of, you know, financial stuff, I'm not going to ask anyone to give anything. I'll take away the giving boxes right now. It should make it harder. give. I want you to spend some time with the Lord right now and imagine yourself taking what it is that, where your treasure is. Like taking all your treasure, gathering up your treasure, and putting it in Jesus' hands. Remembering that it's Jesus, it's all His anyway. Heidi said it. It's all His anyway. If I can give some prayer, people. Daniel, Mike, just to come up, lay hands on people's shoulders, and just kind of pray over them for this. You think this is an odd way to have an altar call because this sermon's about money. It doesn't seem like very spiritual. Oh, I promise it's spiritual. Where your where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Thank you for tuning in today to the Real Church podcast. I pray that you walk away from today encouraged and with a deeper understanding of how much God loves you. If you'd like to connect with us, we can't wait to reach out to you and pray for you. You can go to www.realchurch.us slash connect. And then also, if you would like to give to what God is doing in and through our ministry, you can do so at www.realchurch.us giving, or you can text any amount to 84321. And then just search in the link that comes up, search for Real Church Clearwater. God bless you, and the best is yet to come.